All right, so we've been engaging in a study under the radar. It's a study of the Bible's unsung heroes. And last week we began with our first, uh, uh, first figure, our first character. We're going to talk about him in a second. But what we've done in this quarter is going to be looking at not the figures like Paul or David or Moses or Peter, who unintentionally throughout the ages have gotten all the attention, all the sermons, all the classes, and all the headlines. But instead we're going to be looking at these individuals in Scripture that we may have overlooked. You see, because all, for every one of these bigger-than-life figures, larger-than-life figures, there are men and women surrounding them that actually made them who they were that actually made them the Paul, the, the Moses, and the Peter, and the list goes on. That's who we're studying about this quarter. I want to remember our goal for this class is for us to all find our place within the body of Christ. We studied that the very first week in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Where no matter if you're a hand or a foot or an ear or an eye, you have a place in the body of Christ. And this study is hopefully helping us find where we belong and finding what God's expectations are for us within that body of Christ. Last week we discussed one of these unsung heroes. We learned from the book of Esther that the true hero of the story in the book of Esther was Mordecai. Mordecai was the hero of the story, and not that Esther doesn't deserve the credit for her amazing role in the story and the narrative, but we learned that Mordecai's part is what truly saved the Jewish race from being annihilated by the will of the evil Agagite, Haman. Remember last week we talked about that. We saw from the very beginning of being introduced to this character, Mordecai, to the very end and seeing the legacy of Mordecai in chapter 10, that he maintained two qualities that carried him through his life. And we saw, we saw that those were his persistence and his humility. You see, Mordecai's persistence and humility were the two signifying personality traits that distinguished him from all the others in his society. His persistence and humility separated him from everyone else because not only was he persistent, not only was he humble, but he was persistently humble in his faith towards God. And tonight we have another character from the Bible, a New Testament unsung hero that we're going to be studying about in our remaining time tonight. A man who is likely a Gentile, a man who perhaps was even a God-fearing Gentile, a man who is known as a fellow companion of Paul, and many do not realize, wrote the majority of the New Testament. A man who is single-handedly responsible for giving us the history of the first century church. A man who is known as the physician. The man who gave us the most detailed and the most descriptive gospel account. Tonight we're going to be studying about one of the greatest unsung heroes in all of Scripture. We're going to be studying about Luke. And tonight I want to ask three questions about Luke as we go through our study tonight. The first one is, who, who is Luke? Why is he such a big deal? Why are we taking the time to talk about Luke? What did he do? That's the second question. We're going to look at what he did. And then the third question is, why does Luke matter? Why is he one that we're going to take time to talk about in our study? So the first question is, who is Luke? Let's start out with looking at who this character is, who this figure is in the story of the Bible, and see where he makes the impact that he does. And to understand who Luke is, we're going to have to take a little bit of time to look at the whole of the New Testament to see what was written about him, what was said about Luke in throughout the New Testament. We're going to have to investigate all the facts and Tonight, some may be interesting to you. Some of these facts may be interesting to you. Some of them may not. But to understand who Luke is, we're going to have to look at the whole of the New Testament to see how all of these facts come together 
to tell us who Luke is. And I promise by the end of it, all of these facts will culminate into why Luke is one of the greatest unsung heroes in all of Scripture. To begin this investigation, let's turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. At the end of Colossians, Paul is writing all of his companions down and thanking them and telling them, giving them orders, telling them what to do and informing others about who they were. And starting in verse 10, we're going to start reading in the book of Colossians chapter 4. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow, these, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Okay, so here we're going to find that Paul is listing all of his fellow companions who were of the circumcision. Look at verse 11 again. These are my only fellow workers in the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. And so he's talking about all those who have preceded that sentence in verse 11. So he's talking about Onesimus. He's talking about Aristarchus. He's talking about Mark. He's talking about Barnabas. He's talking about those individuals. And then he's going to take a little switch and he's going to talk about all the other workers and companions. And these people were not of the circumcision, which means not of Jewish heritage. And that's what happens in verses 12 through 14. And of these people who were not of the circumcision, who were not of the Jewish heritage, we find this man named Luke. Luke, the physician, the beloved physician, the verse says in verse 14. So because of this passage in Colossians chapter 4, we know that Luke was a Gentile. We can also find out that that makes him the only New Testament writer who was a Gentile. Luke. The rest of them were of Jewish heritage. Luke in and of himself is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. And if we're going to flip over to Philemon, verse 24, flip over there a few pages over in Philemon, verse 24, we see that Paul also calls him his fellow laborer. His fellow laborer. But when we think about these two titles, between fellow laborer and physician, what do we know Luke as? Most of us would remember Luke as the physician. Because in his gospel, he uses different medical terminology. In Luke chapter 4, verse 35, chapter 9, verse 38, 18, and verse 25, and in Acts chapter 3 and verse 7, we see all these different medical language that he uses. Now, some of these are indistinguishable in English, but when you look at the original language Greek, you can see the medical phraseology that he uses. But one that we can remember and think about is how he points out Jesus sweating as drops of blood. Right? We know that, and we know that Luke is the only one who points that out in the Garden of Eden. That, Luke, that Jesus sweat so much that he started to sweat drops of blood. And so since Luke was a Gentile, guess what? It makes sense that he wrote his books, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, he wrote them with a Gentile audience in mind. He doesn't have to go over all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. He doesn't have to talk about Abraham and, and some of these legends of the Jewish faith as other writers like Matthew do. Because his audience is simply not a Jewish audience. His audience is a Gentile audience. So there are many times where in his books he explains Hebrew words and Hebrew phrases that provide a context or a meaning to his audience that they wouldn't readily understand because they were not of a Jewish background. Turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 19. We can see one of these examples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, 
and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. You see, if this was a Hebrew person, if this was a Jewish writer, he possibly, probably would not take the time to explain what a keldama means. He would have just said it. But Luke understands that his audience is not of Jewish descent. So he gives this Hebrew phrase and then explains what it means. He knew his audience was just like him, were Gentiles. And so he gives this explanation. Well, that begs the question, you know, was Luke an apostle? Was Luke an apostle? He wrote a gospel. I thought all the gospels were written by apostles. Well, actually, no, only half of them were. Matthew and John were definitely apostles, but Mark and Luke were definitely not. They were simply disciples. We know that Luke was not an apostle because he claims to say, he says, bold, you know, obviously that he was not an eyewitness to Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 1. At the beginning of his gospel account in Luke chapter 1, he starts out by saying he was not an eyewitness to Christ. In verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, Just as those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. And so we see from this passage that there were eyewitnesses to the Christ. This would be Matthew. This would be John. This would be Peter. This would be the apostles. This would be Paul, who was born out of due season and saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. These are the apostles of Christ, these eyewitnesses. And he says that he is not one of those because he received this knowledge from those who taught him. It says the ministers of the word delivered them to us. And because of this knowledge that when he got the laying on of hands on him, he had this understanding from the beginning. And so therefore, he was going to give an orderly account, he says, to this figure known as most excellent Theophilus. That begs the question, who is Theophilus? Because it's important to talk about. Not only does he ascribe the book of Luke to Theophilus, not only does he write that book to Theophilus, he also writes the book of Acts to Theophilus. You can look in the first chapter. We're going to be there in a second. So who is Theophilus? We know that both of these books were written to this person, so he must be some figure in that time. There are many different views on who Theophilus is. Well, you've got to look at the name Theophilus. Many names in that time had meaning. It wasn't a name book. You didn't have a, a yearly 20, this is the 2020 book of names that you can choose from. It, you usually chose a name that had some serious meaning behind it. And when we break up the name Theophilus, we see the word theos in Greek, which means God, and we see the word phileo in Greek, which also means love. So when you put these things together, you could say that Theophilus, the name means lover of God. Or, if it was plural, if this was written to a group, it could mean lovers of God. So when he addresses the gospel account of Luke and the book of Acts, he could be writing to a simple one-man person named Theophilus, or he could be writing to all those who love God. And so that's who this Theophilus is all about. Regardless of who this person is, we see that Luke, within his gospel and within the book of Acts, is going to give them a compelling apologetic, a defense for Christ, and in the book of Acts, a defense for the church. And he says in Luke chapter 1, Know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. That's the purpose that he writes Theophilus with so that Theophilus might know with certainty the things which he was instructed. 
And with that, we have sort of a, you know, 30,000 feet above view, overview of who Luke was. He was a disciple, not an apostle. He was a fellow companion of Paul. He was some sort of physician. He was a Gentile. And being a Gentile, he is the only non-Jewish writer in the New Testament. So who is Luke? Well, this is who Luke is. We can know this, we see this as we investigate all of the scriptures. But what did Luke do? What did Luke do in his life that makes him this unsung hero? And for us to understand what he did, we're going to have to again consult his writings. We're going to have to look at what he did and what he wrote to become this unsung hero and Many of us do not realize the impact of his gospel as well as the impact of the book of Acts. Do you realize that Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament? Did you know that? You know, when I said that earlier, I saw some eyes like, oh, he meant to say Paul there. No, I didn't. Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament. Well, how can that be? Let me see here. Let me think this up. John, he wrote five books. Uh, that's more than two. Uh, Peter wrote two, so that's, that's pretty equal. Paul wrote 13 books. That's way more than two, Ben. Have you lost your mind? Uh, you're from Alabama, ha-ha. Yeah. No, Luke only wrote two books, but those two books happen to be longer than all of Paul's 13 books put together. There are others who wrote more number of books and maybe had a bigger impact and a wider audience like Paul. But when you look at the length of the books that were written, Luke outwrote all of them. You see, when we look at the book of Luke itself and the verses, look at chapter 1. Look how many verses are in chapter 1. There's 80 verses in chapter 1 of the book of Luke in and of itself. I mean, I mean I, that's, that's, a, that's, that's like the Psalms how long this book is. And so when we look at the New Testament, the longest book of the New Testament is the Gospel of Luke. The second longest book of the New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew. And guess what the third longest book of the New Testament is? That's the book of Acts. So we see that Luke wrote the first longest and the third longest books of the entire New Testament. When he combined them together, they come to equal about 30% of the entire New Testament Luke was responsible for. Now let's think about this combining together of these books to make this 30%. Do you realize that the early church looked at these books as a one piece of work, as an original and then a sequel? And by the way, that's exactly how Luke intended for this to be read. It was, a, it was a combined tandem to work together to convert, to convince, to compel, to defend the church and to defend Christ to this man known as Theophilus or this group of people known as Theophilus. Turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Again, we see that he addresses it to Theophilus. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach, and he goes and he talks about that for a second, and he goes right into the book. You realize that the book of Acts is the greatest sequel ever written? I mean, the greatest sequel of all time, the book of Acts, is. And so we see within his gospel, and when Luke is trying to provide this orderly account back in chapter 1 of the book of Luke, he tells Theophilus he's going to give him an orderly account. In doing so, he winds up giving us the most detailed, the most descriptive, the most telling accounts among all the other Gospels. And it's the same thing in the book of Acts. It's very detailed. It's very descriptive. When you think about the book of Acts and you think about Luke's Gospel, think about the different places he lists, the different names he lists, the time frames that he lists, all these interesting details that he gives Theophilus, and he gives us as readers today. In both books, it's amazing to read. 
And when I was growing up, I was very confused about the Gospels. Why do we need four stories of the same person? Why aren't they all the same? They were, if they're inspired, why aren't they all the same? Why don't they give us the same exact from start to finish situation among all of us, uh, among all of them? And so we look at the Gospels and we get a little bit confused. Isn't it just supposed to be the same story four different times? And many of us think that way. Why are there so many minor details that are changed? Well, once we step back and realize that each account was written for different purposes. Each account was written to a different audience. And each account was written by different people. Once we step back and realize that, we begin to understand all the other idiosyncrasies that are within each of these books. You see, Matthew wrote to this Jewish audience, so therefore he's going to go over all these prophecies. He's going to connect Jesus' genealogy to Joseph all the way back to Abraham. Luke's not doing that. Luke is writing to this Gentile audience. He's not worried about Abraham. He's worried about tying Jesus back to creation in his genealogy. So let's talk about what did Luke do. The first thing he did is he wrote the book of Luke. Let's zone in on this gospel for a few minutes and list the distinguishing factors that we can find within it in the book, in the gospel of Luke. You realize that the majority of what we know about the birth of Jesus is from the book of Luke. Matthew has the second most information about the birth of Jesus. John simply doesn't go there because Jesus is pre-existing. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. That's John's approach. Mark is the shortest book of them all because he is simply talking about what Jesus did, the actions that he did. He's not, he's not concerned with how Jesus came to earth. So Lou gives us the longest information about the birth of Jesus. You see, Luke's account of from Jesus' birth till he is 12 in the temple is almost two and a half chapters. Again, like I said, the first chapter is 80 verses. It's two and a half of the longest chapters in the New Testament giving us this information about the birth and the childhood of Jesus. You realize without his account, we would have no information about the birth of John the Baptist? The other accounts just jump right into John the Baptist as an adult, crying in the wilderness, preparing the way. We would have no information about him going to the temple at the age of 12 and telling his parents, did you not know I must be about my father's business? We wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have the information in Luke 2.52 about him increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. We would not have any of that. Like I said a second ago, Luke's genealogy doesn't go through Joseph because he's not worried about tying Jesus back to Abraham because his audience wouldn't care about that. Luke's genealogy goes through Mary. And it doesn't stop at Abraham. It goes all the way to creation. Because Luke is trying to show his audience, this Gentile audience, that Jesus was the Savior to all humanity, not just the descendants of Abraham. And with that, we can find an overall theme for the Gospel of Luke that is different than all the rest. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is trying to prove Jesus is a Savior to all humanity. Jesus is a Savior to all humanity, not just these descendants of Abraham, not just select groups, but to all mankind. Turn to Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. This is why I love to be an evangelist. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, or which was lost. So we see that Jesus gives his purpose statement here in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, and Luke records that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He doesn't say he came to seek and to save those Israelites, those Hebrew people. No, he says he came to seek that which was lost, and that is all mankind, that is man, that is woman, that is all of us. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save every single one of us, whether we are a Jew or a Gentile whether we are a tax collector or a sinner, whether we are a woman or whether we are a Samaritan, whether we are poor, whether we are rich, 
Jesus came to save us all. And that's the exact emphasis that we find in the book of Luke. Luke records Jesus' compassion for those social outcasts. And that's what separates him from these other Gospels. For a second, I want us to think about the different stories from the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, that are not found in any of the other Gospels. Luke records certain parables, certain stories, certain accounts that none of the other Gospels record, and we're going to talk about them for a second. Do you realize that Luke is the only one to record the story of the Good Samaritan? The story that we've been talking about the last few weeks about going and doing, the story that teaches us that Samaritans are able to do good in the sight of God and what true righteousness looks like, true righteousness acts. It not only sees the, 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 the problems in the world, it also does something about it. Without the Gospel of Luke, we would have no indication of this story of the Good Samaritan. We also know that Luke is the only one to record the ten lepers who were cleansed, only to have one return to Jesus. We also see that Luke is the only one to record the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son who, who left, got all of his inheritance and left, and came back because he had lost out on, his, on all of it. And we have learned from that story that God loves sinners even when they don't deserve it. We also know that Luke is the only one to record the story of the Pharisee and the publican, how the Pharisee prayed and thanked God that he was not like all these sinners. But the publican beat his breast and cried, couldn't even look up to the sky. He said, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, this story again shows us that God loves sinners. God loves the humble more than He loves the frauds. We also know that Luke is the only gospel to record the conversion of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. We wouldn't know that without the gospel of Luke. And this story shows us that Jesus loves even tax collectors. You realize that Luke is the only one to record the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Telling us that God would rather us be humble and, and lowly in our heart and subjected to Him than to have all these riches and it to go to nothing. Without the book of Luke and the gospel of Luke, we would not have that story of the rich man and Lazarus. You realize that also without the gospel of Luke, we would not have some of the amazing stories about women that we find in the New Testament. Luke writes more about women than any other gospel writer does. He writes about women more than them by a long shot. Women who in these days were another social outcast, just like a tax collector or a poor man or all the other stories we've already just talked about. Turn back to chapter 1 and 2, we see that we've already talked about the dedication of time and, and energy he spent into talking about these birth narratives within John the Baptist and Jesus. Then fast forward to chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. He's the only one to mention this prophetess, Anna, and what she did in that verse, in that passage. We also know when we think about in his mentioning of the sinful woman who poured the expensive oil on his feet and washed it with his hair, with her hair. And that's found in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and 50. We don't have that story in any other gospel. Luke records this amazing example of faith from this sinful woman. Fast forward to chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we see that Luke gives us this mention of these very well-off women who funded the majority of Jesus' ministry. No other gospel account gives us that fact, gives us that knowledge, but Luke tells us about these women who helped fund the entire ministry of Jesus. Think about the number of women mentioned in the resurrection story in chapter 24 of the book of Luke. You see, Luke mentions women. He mentions the poor. He mentions the outcasts. He mentions the tax collector. He mentions the publican. He mentions all these different people. 
Because Luke doesn't care about what's politically correct to write about. He said, I'm going to write you an orderly account. And that's exactly what he did. He gave Theophilus and he gives us an orderly account that features Jesus' compassion on all humanity. Not just the descendants of Abraham, not just men, not just the elite, but to all mankind. And the question is tonight, what if he had never written the Gospel of Luke? What would that mean to us tonight? How different would the Bible look like? Can you imagine the difference that would have on the New Testament? Can you imagine the difference of knowledge you would have about the life of Christ without the book of Luke? Turn back into your Bibles at all those stories we talked about, the prodigal son, the rich man and Lazarus. Look at all of your notes in the columns and all the underlinings and all the different thoughts that you've gained over the years and all the sermons, all the lessons, all the classes, all those moments that changed your life. and just rip them out. If there was no Luke, none of those stories would have been recorded because they're simply not to be found in the other Gospels. Think about that impact just from his one book that we've already talked about. You realize the Gospel of Luke in and of itself is enough to make Luke one of the unsung heroes that we study about, but we know that that's not where it ends. See, because he wrote another book, turn to the book of Acts as we go over this in a, in a few thoughts. The book of Luke is obviously not the only thing that Luke wrote. He also wrote the greatest sequel ever known to mankind. William Barclay once said, in one sense, Acts is the most important book in the New Testament. You see, because many have called it the bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles. That's what the book of Acts is. You realize that the book of Acts is the only book in the entire New Testament that chronicles the history of the New Testament church. Without the book of Acts, there is no chronicle of the history of how it all began and how it all started and how it grew. David Roper said in his commentary, without Acts, the actions of the early church would be unknown to us, except for a few facts we would glean from the writings of Paul. How true is that? We would have no idea what the first century church did without the book of Acts. We would simply know a little bit here and a little bit there from the books that Paul wrote. You know, when we think about Acts, many have called it the Acts of the Apostles, but that's not really as accurate as it could be. Because obviously we have apostles like Peter and Paul and the tremendous acts that they did. But the main characters of the book of Acts are a whole slew of other people. Other people that weren't apostles. Regular men and regular women who throughout the book of Acts proclaim the good news of Jesus. Think about Stephen, think about Philip, Barnabas. Silas, Timothy, Apollos, Aquila, Priscilla, Lydia, Dorcas, all of these individuals are the true heroes in the book of Acts. Peter, Paul, they did great things and great numbers were brought to the Lord because of them, but because of these other characters that were just like Luke. Those are the main characters throughout the book of Acts. You know, Acts gives us so much of the prescription that God has written to man when it comes to salvation. Without the book of Acts, we wouldn't have Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent. Be baptized for the mission of your sins. Without the book of Acts, we wouldn't have that prescription for salvation. We wouldn't have the prescription God has written to man for worship or for the daily life of the Christian. Without it, we wouldn't have a record of this day of Pentecost where thousands were brought to the Lord. We wouldn't know the essentiality of baptism the way we do today. We wouldn't have all the examples of baptisms the way the book of Acts lines out. We wouldn't understand the persecution and the martyrs of the faith that occur in the book of Acts. We wouldn't have the accounts of the benevolence and the evangelism that the first century, took, the first century church took place and part in 
We wouldn't know how they took the Lord's Supper on the first day of each week. In Acts 20 and verse 7, it tells us that. We wouldn't know about the gospel being spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, because it would have never been written. Without Luke writing the book of Acts, we wouldn't even have the phrase restoration movement. We wouldn't have a restoration movement because we would have no understanding of what we were restoring. We wouldn't have the plea to return to the first century church because we wouldn't know what the first century church looked like without the book of Acts. Without Luke writing this great book. So the question again is, the same way we asked about the gospel of Luke, we ask about the book of Acts. What if there was no Luke to write? The only history of the church. You see, there's no way to quantify the fundamental impact that the writings of Luke had on the New Testament and on the history of the church. But the same way him writing Luke was not all he did and him writing Acts is not all he did, guess what else he did? He was a companion to to, to Paul. He was Paul's companion to the end. Yes, Luke wrote uh, the, the majority of the New Testament, and he wrote this great gospel, this descriptive gospel of Luke, and this great history of the church in Acts, but perhaps his greatest accomplishment, his greatest impact, was how he was Paul's companion. The question tonight is, what if Luke had not been there to record the events, the sermons, the persecutions, and the life of the Apostle Paul? You see, sometimes we don't stop to realize that Luke was there for almost all of it. For all the trials, for all the sufferings, for all the agonies, for all that Paul experienced, guess who was right there experiencing with it? Luke. You know, growing up, I loved the show Man vs. Wild. Anybody ever seen that show? Man vs. Wild on the Discovery Channel. This guy named Bear Grylls faked his way to the top and telling us he was actually in the wilderness, but he really wasn't. You know what I'm talking about? He goes out in the wilderness and he gets dropped off and he's supposed to be surviving by himself for however many days and he's got this sweet accent and you're just, you're just zoned in from the start, right? And you really begin to start believing, man, he is by himself. I mean, this guy is in a desolate wilderness, There is no water. I mean, he is drinking things that no human should ever drink. He is eating things that no man should ever even look at. This guy is surviving on bark. I mean, he is just making it all the way through the wilderness up until the end of the episode by himself, right? No. There are people with cameras there. Hello? There are people giving them water when, the, when they cut the screen. There, there are people there that are building the tent for them or going to get them the real filet mignon that he probably ate for dinner that night. I mean, putting dirt on his face and putting all the fake makeup, right? There are people there that are actually going through it the same way he is going through it. You see, there's no difference in the story of Luke and Paul. We think about Paul and we read stories and, and, and we do sermons and we do Bible classes and we think about the Apostle Paul going through all of this alone. He went through all the things he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and following where he talks about how he was beat, how he was scourged, how he was whipped, how he was naked, how he was without food, how he was all alone. And, and we think about how he did that by himself, but that's not true. Luke was there with him. There were others who were his companions who traveled alongside of him and went through all of it alongside with him. That was Luke. Luke was also going through the elements, also going through the pain, the suffering. Except Luke never gets the same praise. He never gets the headlines. He never gets the credit that the Apostle Paul got and usually gets in our churches and congregations today. Perhaps another thing that Luke did that we've never thought about, you know he's named the physician, right? 
How handy would it have been to have a physician there to help you mend your wounds after you had been stoned or whipped or beaten, as Paul says he was in 2 Corinthians 11. How handy would it have been to have a physician there to patch your wounds or maybe to help you with that pesky thorn in the flesh that Paul talked about. Luke was there as the physician mending Paul and helping him get through all of the pain and agony that he experienced. You see, that was Luke's role. He was never going to be Paul, but Paul could never have been Luke. Luke was there for the greatest missionary who ever lived, Paul. He helped mend his wounds. He preserved an accurate and orderly account of all that Paul did. And we also know that he was there until the bitter end. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. It says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. You see, at the end of Paul's life, at the end of 2 Timothy, guess who was there? Timothy was doing other things. Titus was doing other things. Demas had forsaken the church and forsaken the Lord. Cretans was over somewhere. Galatia. But Luke was with Paul until the very end. Luke was there until Paul had fought the good fight, until he had finished the race, until he had kept the faith, and until Paul was ready to receive the crown of righteousness. And all along the way, Luke fought the good fight. Luke finished the race. Luke kept the faith. It just wasn't his time to get the crown of righteousness yet. So what did Luke do to make him an unsung hero? Well, he wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts which in turn is the majority of the New Testament. And lastly, he was Paul's greatest companion. We've done the who, we've done the what. We're going to end with the why. Why does Luke matter? Luke, this Gentile physician who wasn't an apostle, wasn't a great missionary, wasn't an eyewitness to Jesus, wasn't the one who preached on Pentecost, wasn't the one who baptized thousands, wasn't the one who was called by Christ to take the gospel to Gentiles, this guy named Luke. Why does he matter? And why is he one of the Bible's greatest unsung heroes? You may be sitting here tonight thinking, or online with us tonight thinking, how can I be like Luke? I can't possibly be like Luke. You should see the papers I wrote in high school. They're terrible. I failed all of them. I'm not a good writer. You might be sitting here tonight, I can't be like Luke. I'm not a detailed person. I'm not organized, and I can't remember all the little facets of life like Luke did and his great descriptions of the life of Christ and the life of the church. You might be sitting here, I'm not like Luke. I can't make a compelling argument to someone like Theophilus, one of my friends, or a group of people like, the, like Luke did in his writings. I'm certainly not able to help the greatest missionary who ever lived in Paul. I mean, there's nobody like Paul left. I can't be like Luke. The fact is, we tonight have to realize all of us might not be able to be an Apostle Paul but every single one of us can be a Luke 
You see, we might not be able to go about establishing congregations from city to city, baptizing thousands and thousands of souls, but every single one of us can be a Luke who flew under the radar. You see, there are dozens of things that we can learn about from the life of Luke. But the one thing I want to talk about and focus on with the rest of our time tonight is Luke's unbelievable ability to preserve. To preserve. Every single thing Luke did was in an effort to preserve. Luke preserved the most descriptive details about the life of Jesus, without which we would not have the understanding of our Savior the way we have tonight. Luke preserved the truth that Jesus came to save all humanity, the poor, the women, the tax collector, the sinner, the Samaritan, the Gentiles. He came to save all mankind. And without that knowledge from the Gospel of Luke, we would have no chance at being a part of God's family if we didn't know that Jesus came for us. You see, because we're Gentiles, we are the social outcast if we were not to be brought in by Jesus' grace and by His blood. The Gospel of Luke tells us that God wants us even if we're poor. Even if we are the outcasts of society, if we're a woman, if we're the Gentiles, if we're not the elite in society, we can beat our breast and beg God to have mercy on us, and He will. And we learn that from the Gospel of Luke. We also see that Luke preserved the history of the first century church without which we would not have any grasp on what God expects on us as a congregation. We, would have, we have no historical foundation to where our heritage is as the church of Christ. We wouldn't even know where it started. But now we know it started on Pentecost. And now we can directly tie our heritage to that great day because the writing of Luke. Luke also preserved the life of Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived. Without which, we would not have a record of one of the Bible's greatest figures. And who knows what would have happened if Luke had not been there to help Paul's injuries and help mend them as the physician. You might be thinking tonight, how can I be a Luke in my life? The fact is, you and I can preserve the truth of God's Word every single day of our life. The exact same way Luke did. You see, because so many have left the prescription that God has written for us to live by. You see, many have go to the doctor and they get a prescription, do they not? You can't read it. You, I mean, the, the pharmacist has a hard time reading it. Sometimes they have to call the, the guy and be like, what in the world is on this piece of paper? But it's a prescription. And the pharmacist fulfills that prescription. And you go home and you take that medicine and you get better. Some have seen God write this prescription and have gone home and done something else. And they're not better. We can preserve the prescription that God has written to us in His Gospel, in the book of Acts. You see, because so many are not doing that anymore. They don't care about the prescription God wrote. They are fine that God made them in His image. But when it comes to what they make God, they want to make God in the image they want Him to look like. They don't want to adhere to what they believe is outdated tradition. They want to have Jesus, but not the church. They want to have love and grace, but not accountability and commitment. They want to know all about what it takes to come to Christ, but don't care less about what it takes to stay in Christ. It takes people like Luke 
who preserve the truth, the details, the descriptions of what Jesus did in His account in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts when it comes to the church. It takes literal preservationists to uphold the integrity of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It takes people like Luke who preserve the life of Paul to be willing to serve from the shadows, from the sidelines, from the foxholes in benevolence and evangelism. There are so many good mission works that we take part in as a congregation that you could be a Luke in. That you could be by their side and so many missionaries that are begging for help that they need someone like Luke to be with them because no one else is with them. You might need to be Luke in that way. Because we saw even the Apostle Paul was alone and had no one by his side. Only Luke is with me, he says. You see, it takes people like Luke to give a defense or an apologetic to the world of who Jesus is and why they need to be in his church. It takes people like Luke to help others, as he said in Luke 1, verse 4 to Theophilus, know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. The question tonight that we've asked with each of our characters and we will continue to ask is what would the church be like if Luke had never been born? What would the church look like? Where would we be tonight without this great writer, this great disciple, this great friend, this great companion, this great physician who preserved the life of Jesus, the history of the New Testament church, and the life of Paul? Where would we be without Luke? Thank you. We're going to be closed in a word of prayer. I think Kyle Rye is going to close us out but I'm not seeing them. So we're going to have to call on somebody else, perhaps. Who will it be?